Welcome everyone to the 9667 podcast. Uh, if anyone knows me well enough, they'll know that uh, I'm a fanatical vinyl record collector. Uh, since an early age, I've gone out my way in finding the best vinyl record shops to feed my vinyl addiction. One such shop in our area of the UK, and I'll leave the name for our guest to announce, is still trading now since my early collecting days, and we are very happy to have the owner of this shop as our guest today. So would our guest please introduce themselves to the listeners? Okay, yes, my name's Richard Churchard. I'm the owner of Raves from the Grave. We've got shops in Froome and Warminster, and we've been trading for 24 years now. Well, it's lovely to meet you, Rich. Lovely to have you on. My first question to you is, what was your first slash earliest introduction to music in general? Um, it was probably when I was about seven or eight, actually. My dad's brother was really it was a classical pianist, and um, he but he introduced me to classical music. So I think I was the youngest person to be into classical music uh, at my school, definitely. Um, and he also introduced me when I was about nine to bands like Steely Dan and and uh, Seals and Crofts and sort of the American, you know, sort of soft rock stuff as well. So um, I was quite advanced at a young age, basically. So that, that was my first introduction. Uh, yeah, we'll find out a little bit more about you first uh, um, and then the shop later. Um, yeah. So my question is, um, at what age did you start to learn a musical instrument? Okay, um, I was nine years old and I started to learn the piano. Um, we did have a piano in the house. My mum and dad both played a little bit of piano, not not very well, but uh, my dad used to play show tunes and I think my mum did as well, basically. So I went for piano lessons and I passed my grade one, but then I got bored, basically. And after about three years, I stopped. Uh-huh. And I didn't touch the keyboard again until about uh, 19 when I joined my first band. Uh, there was um, a time that most families did have a piano in their house. That's right, yeah. Uh, this was, well, this was, this was 1969, yeah, when I was nine, so that shows you how old I am. Well, bless you. You're, not, you're, quite, you're still young. <laughs> <laughs> what, what band slash artist would you say influenced you in your early years? Uh, definitely the Beatles. I was, I really was. I mean, the first, well, actually, I know that's one question later, so I won't mention that yet, but I, um, Beatles, I was really, really into, um, I, um, I mean, I, I was really into the punk scene. I know we're coming on to that later, but that's obviously not until sort of 76, 77, but, um, really, uh, classical music. I mean, I really was into classical music in a big way. Uh, and my, my early record collection, I know I had quite a lot of classical records, so um, that's, I know that's quite unusual, but uh, that, that probably but the Beatles and classical would have been my very early influences. Um, and uh, how were you introduced to punk rock? Um, I was working just before I started full time education. So I just left school. I, le- I didn't do I just did my O-levels. It failed quite miserably. And I was doing a part time job in Sainsbury's and uh, one of the chaps who was working there with me was into punk and uh, punk had just sort of started off, really. And uh, he, he probably was the biggest person to sort of get me into it, really. But I, I was into it in a big way from probably early 77, right, well, right through to today, basically. funny how you meet people and then you know they have an influence on you musically I can't remember his name actually but no we used to go to gigs together and uh he you know he'd be 
coming in the morning, talk about records we'd bought the day before and compare you know, um, things we'd heard on John Peel the night before. And uh, so that was, yeah, that was oh, yeah, Dave, Dave taught me a lot about John Peel. He's, he's introduced me to that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start learning more about him. He seems like a really interesting guy. He should have been knighted. He should have been, yeah. I mean, I literally, I used to listen to records of the night before I literally, and I go down to my local record shop, and I, it, they, that was the only place I could get them from. We didn't bought, you know, bought seven inches the next morning, basically. So I've still got quite a few of those in my own collection today. I think John Peel influenced me into punk rock too. Um, at mm. an early age, about 10. Um, yeah. And uh, I was naughty and used to, um, well, go out to bed and, um, not go to bed but get my transistor radio and uh, yeah and used to hide under my blankets and have the radio on and listen to john yeah. Phil until his um evening session finished <laughs> and then go to school yeah, no, I, I, do the same, I did the same thing definitely <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's brilliant. At, at what age did you buy your first vinyl and can you remember what it was that might be yes a i can I was eight, and the first record I bought was um, Lady Madonna by the Beatles, 1968. So I, I remember, like, uh, and the first LP I bought was Mott by Mott the Hoople, which is still in my collection. It's still one of my favourite albums of all time. So. And I was about 10, I think, when I bought that. So, um, so going on back to the punk, tell us your favourite punk gig you attended and what you can remember from the evening. Um, I went to a lot, I've got to admit, I mean, I, I never, there's a lot of bands I never got to see, people like the Pistols, the Clash, the Jam, and I was very, you know, I'm still disappointed to not get to see those bands, but probably, um, I would say Buzzcocks, I mean, I saw Buzzcocks about, probably about 15 times, and um, I, I sort of like to see them on the tour for their first album, Another Music in a Different Kitchen. At my local venue, which was the Pavilion in Hemel Hempstead, where I was uh, brought up, um, and I actually got the chance to roadie for the band as well because they wanted people to get in free, basically just help out with the gear in the afternoon. So probably that was my most uh, biggest memory of, uh, of a gig. But I saw loads of bands there, people like Susie and the Banshees, The Damned, uh, God, uh, uh, Stiff oh, uh, Little Fingers, just too many to mention, basically. Excellent. So jealous. <laughs> I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> Completely. At what age did you first commit to, you know, being a record collector in general? Like, when did you first commit to it? Um, to, to actually collect records, I would probably say about twelve. I, I, I was about twelve, and that, that's when I. <laughs> yeah where when i sort of you know started getting I, I remember collecting all the beatles albums but i used to buy anything on apple beatles label um and i said again i've uh, even uh, my collection's not huge but I, i've still kept all those in my in my collection from the early days basically but then when i when the punk scene hit that's when i really did start buying you know, like in a very big way there, there were lots of outlets back then that actually sold vinyls and um, not just record shops but um i also note that uh the newsagent shops used to sell quite a lot of vinyl. Yeah. oh yeah they did no they yeah the newsagents used to have sort of uh, little counter dispenser units for old goldies and things like that but i mean i used to buy from everybody from wh smith to places like rump that don't exist anymore like rumbelows boots used to have a record department um woolworths i mean i i 
remember it wasn't very cool to buy records from Woolworths when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been cool to buy records from Woolworths, but so uh, we know we had a great. Yeah. Sorry. It's wherever you could get them at a good price, wasn't it? Oh, it was definitely. Yeah, there was a good. There was a couple of really good stalls on Watford Market. I used to um, I'm a Watford football supporter, so I used to go to all the Watford home matches, and then after the match, I'd go to this really good stall on Watford Market and buy a load of stuff there. So, but unfortunately, when I went back to Watford recently, he's not he's not there anymore. The market's still there, but he's not there anymore. Oh, yeah, that's a shame that like places like that go. Like tragic because like yeah. you were saying about Woolworths just then, and like my memories of Woolworths is like my mum and my auntie buy me like pick and mix and things. Like you know, that's my memory. You could though, like guilty as charged. I will say those little jelly snakes. Do you remember them? Uh, that wasn't oh my goodness, them. I was obsessed. <laughs> um, I have to ask because you've touched uh, quite an unusual surname. Um, yes. Are you related to Steve Churchill, the Stranglers producer? Yeah. Well, I, it's funny because when I first got my first first Stranglers album, I thought I was obviously quite excited. So, oh, Churchill, and I did do some research, but no. I mean, I probably maybe long, long, long way back, but my surname originates from Norfolk area, so uh, and there, there is quite a few Churchards up there, basically. Well, I haven't really come across any locally, so I would think not personally. Yeah, I was going to ask about its origins. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I, I don't think I'm related to him, though. No. Not yeah, to a non. Like, I wish I was. The idea that it's knowing him or anything—that's <laughs> a shame. Yeah. <laughs> What's your most treasured vinyl? Now that might be tough. Um, in my own collection, I mean, again, I used to see a lot. I used to go to a lot of very, very low-key punk gigs, and in Hemel Hempstead again, where I was brought up, there was the only punk band I remember from there. Was a band called the Fun Boy Five, not the Fun Boy Three, but the Fun Boy Five, oh. and they released one single, um, which was in like a wrap around sort of do-it-yourself sleeve. And I bought it when I used to go and see them. And then I, I sold a lot of my punk singles years ago on a boot sale, annoyingly. And about ten years ago, I made the effort to try and replace them all, and I managed to get a copy. I had to pay about fifty quid for it from someone in Germany, but. That probably is my most treasured possession because I remember John Peel did a session for them on his radio show, and I used to have a cassette. I've still got a cassette of their session, but uh, just to find that single again was quite uh, pleasing. So, well so yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and what is your most treasured piece of music memorabilia? Um, I haven't got one treasured piece, but over the years, various all the bands I've played in, I've got sort of. I, I love collecting set lists and and just photos and recordings on cassettes. So I've got like a massive great box full of uh, bits and bobs of uh, various gigs I've done. And um, so that that's probably you know that it's not one piece of memorabilia, but it's a lot. But that that is the most treasured stuff I've got, I reckon. Oh, that's great. Um, I also collect set lists as well. And <laughs> Have like uh, a big folder full of um, quite a lot of punk bands, but not not just punk bands. Um, no, like other bands like Kasabian that I've seen like three right. times. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, to mention a couple anyway. But yeah, it's yeah. quite exciting stuff. When I feel a bit of a kid when I go to the end of the gig and ask anyone that's around on stage to, to get a set list. But it, <laughs> 
No, I, I, would, I would still do that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got, I've bought albums over the years and found set lists in them. I, I remember buying a, a Brighton compilation called A Trix, where one of the bands of Piranhas, which you probably remember, David, were on that, and one of their set lists just happened to be in this second-hand record. So I've still got that. So that's uh... result. <laughs> <laughs> What's the rarest piece of music memorabilia you own? Um. I, I don't, I haven't actually got anything because again, space and stuff like that. We, I did have a really nice Stranglers poster in the shop, which I think I must have sold over the trouble is having a shop, you, you get things in and you think, oh, I'll take that home and actually look after that. I had a lovely, really nice big blondie or Debbie Harry poster, absolutely massive poster. And again, that was, you know, I actually prized that. But again, at a time, I just thought, oh, I don't need that. It's taking it in the way and I probably sold it. So. <laughs> I don't actually own anything that I would one piece at home that I would say is, is that valuable because I tend to sell it if I got it. So I need the money. Like most the poster, which one was it? Do you remember what the po the blondie one? The strangest or, or the strangest. The strangest one. It had well, it had Hugh Cornwall on it, so it was obviously an original thing. And it again, it was really big. It was about six foot tall and about four foot wide. Um, it was. It wasn't in the best condition, basically. But I, I, I think I bought it from a customer in the shop. And again, I was going to put it up somewhere, but it was just too obscene size to actually be able to put it on the wall anywhere. So I think I must have sold it somewhere. I can't find it now. So. What six foot four? You can't find it. <laughs> no, no. Well, it was all folded up. It was folded up with sort of creased into about an A4 size. And uh, Which I don't know. I, I'm, the underground. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I, I reckon I must have sold it to a customer. We had quite a few Stranglers customers over the years, so I must have sold it. But I can't find it anymore anyway. It just reminds me of when you open the wardrobe and, like, James got loads of posters rolled up in, like, these tubes and you open our wardrobe and they all start falling out. Like, <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> he's got all sorts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I started collecting um, the uh, Foo Fighters ones that they have for artists to do their posters. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a limited run of about hundred or two hundred. So mm. a couple of years ago, I started spending a lot of money on these signed by the artists. We got some artists. of the foil ones, don't we? We got some yeah. of the foil ones, and um, so I collected about thirteen in the end, and I've stopped now. <laughs> <laughs> I've introduced Dave to the idols recently, oh, right, yeah. and I'm yeah. so glad because I've never had a party that's like them before. <laughs> so I know, that's how I know he's the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, up on the idols at the moment. They're quite nice, really, because they they're they're doing the vinyls as well in in all sorts of um, colours and. Oh, right, fantastic! They're really friendly too. I really. Like I, I yeah, I used to collect quite a lot of. I mean, most of, when I collect stuff, I tend to keep a lot of it in the shop because I've. Uh, um, it's, I always see that as partly you know, like, a bit like my collection as well. So I don't tend to take too much stuff home, really, because A, we haven't got a lot of space and uh, my wife would moan probably. So I, <laughs> I tend to keep it, hide it away in the shop. Hello, Debbie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, not here, she's not here today to hear this. So it's. A... Um, how many vinyls roughly do you have in your personal collection, Rich? Uh, not a huge amount. As I said, I. I if you if we'd gone back about sort of 25 years before i had the shop i had a lot more but again when i started the shop uh, 25 years ago i 
had to put a lot of my own vinyl into the shop because we didn't I didn't have a huge huge amount to open with. Um, so at the moment, I've probably got I don't know no more than about six or seven hundred uh, pieces of vinyl to be honest. But but the things I have got, I've just kept the things that sort of prize the most, like um, you know, like punk albums and singles. Beatles and related stuff and bands like, as I said, like, like Mott the Hoople and things like that. So not a huge amount, about 600, 700 pieces, I would say. Occasionally, I'm still buying the occasional thing, but again, I, I see I've got a rotating collection, which is, you know, lots of it's in the shop. So The hardest thing is letting them go, isn't it? It is, actually, yeah. I mean, you, you, you do have to actually... Uh, Sometimes, yeah, it depends. On, you know, when we've bought collections over the years, certain things I'll pull out and think, oh, I'm definitely going to keep that. But generally, you know, because obviously you've got to keep the finances going. So particularly if you've paid quite a lot for a collection, you, you're really sort of thinking, no, I, I cannot afford to hang on to that. But I mean, something I have got, like an investment, I've got all the Bowie, um, he, over the, oh, about four or five years ago, he was bringing all these seven inches out with picture discs. Actually, it might be more like six, seven years ago. So I've got the whole set of those which again, I wouldn't want to sell them and they're quite fairly valuable, but I, you know, would like to hang on to those. Is, is it true that he deleted all of his CD collection? Uh, no, not to my knowledge. We've still, we've still got them all in the shops and we still sell them regularly. So, uh, anyway, there's so many people on eBay selling David Bowie CDs for like crazy amounts of money and I, I've never understood. And then when you told me that, I was like, mm, maybe, I don't I mean, know. He's quite particular on his, on his artwork, isn't he? Now. Yes, yeah, he is. I mean, he was when he changed labels um, from uh, RCA to EMI, and in back and then that was, I think they were like back on uh, EMI, uh, RCA again, basically. But certain of the early EMI ones were quite collectible. But no, they they, they are all still available, and lots more because at the moment, obviously, the the companies are milking his death. So uh, every single box set or thing they find obviously comes out again recently. So he's he's the collection of Bowie CDs in the shop has probably doubled since he died. So. Yeah, that's that's the shame with most artists, like I know. Um, there's recently been an Amy Winehouse reissue, and um, they did yeah. it with Michael Jackson, and I, they do it with all the big stars. And I don't know, is it? Is it yeah. And I, I'm very lenient, like to support that. Um, yeah, I know it's it's a tricky one having the shop because I we I don't like the fans being, um, you know deprived of their money but obviously if there is a demand for the product which there obviously is because most of it sells and, uh, and our customers actually want it then we potentially have to stock it so uh, that's how it goes really <laughs> yeah exactly so um you recently um you mentioned um in the podcast earlier i'll get my words out in a minute <laughs> can you tell us what bands you've been in and what instrument you played yeah i play keyboards and i always have done um when we the first band I we started was with my schoolmates and we were in a blues a, ba a very bad blues band doing um <laughs> yeah we, well, we were writing stuff as well as covers and stuff as and um the band was called well, first of all we were called the Incognito Blues Band and we changed the name to as the Newt as as in pissed as the Newt um uh but I I've been in too many bands to mention over the years to be honest I mean at the moment I'm in an electronic band called Sweet Machine where we write all our own stuff it's a sort of cross between human league and uh the words are in the music of human league sort of poppy soft sully type stuff really and i write music and um 
we're a four piece and we're still playing mm -hmm. regularly or not, not at the moment obviously <laughs> we had quite a few gigs last year which were cancelled but i'm also in a um garage punk band called los grievos um again doing sort of psychedelic -y garage covers and some of our own stuff but over the years i've been in things like a pretenders tribute band i've been in an abba tribute band twice I've been in rock bands. I've done uh, even country. I've been in rock and roll bands. I've done a bit of everything, oh, really. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise the extent of how many bands. Yeah, there. yeah. No, I've, I've never not. I've never not been in a band since I was nineteen. So it's uh, yeah, in my blood. So. Oh, with a passion. With a passion, exactly. Um, have you ever had any releases with any of these bands? Like a vinyl release? Not on vinyl. That's the question. Yeah, not on vinyl. Unfortunately, we, with Sweet Machine, we really would love to bring out um, one of our releases on vinyl. We're still looking into the, you know, opportunities of doing that. As you're probably aware, it is very pricey, Dave, because I know you've done it with uh, your band. But we'd like to, um, for example, we're we, during lockdown. We've recorded about nine new songs, um, and again, the, the plan is to potentially bring something out on vinyl, but we just haven't got around to doing it at the moment. We've done quite a few, I've done lots of CDs and stuff with, with bands recorded and had them professionally recorded. Um, but no, vinyl is something that we, we really would like to do. I just haven't got around to doing it yet. So you could do a split single, couldn't you? That's sort of half the cost. Yeah, yeah, that, well, that would be good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something to consider, definitely, once we... Uh, get the lockdown out of the way really and, and meet up with another band it's finding a band that's a similar uh, playing a similar type of music would obviously be uh, logical really so yeah. there's not a huge amount of electronic bands um well anywhere really it's not not around here anyway so there's, there's one other band in Trim doing electronic stuff but so maybe we could look into that cool who would you say your favorite artists and bands are and why favorite artists and bands um my uh, so I've touched on someone before, uh, Mott the Hoople probably I would say is uh, mainly because it was the first album I bought and I've seen them quite a few times, seen Ian Hunter loads of times, read his autobiographies etc. Um, so uh, I would say probably they are my number one band. I have a very wide range of uh, or tasty music and the only I would say the two things I, I don't like is thrash metal and um sort of hip-hop basically i haven't really i find it doesn't really do anything for me either of those but generally i i have i'm quite into all all other genres of music really um other favorite bands bad finger um obviously on the uh, beatles apple label very very fond of them collected all their stuff read loads of books watched loads of dvds and um i think they're you know a vastly underrated band um so yeah, probably I would say what the people on Badfinger, but there's too 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 many to mention to be honest. So. <laughs> uh, tell us why you wanted to open a record shop, Rich. Um, I worked for WHBS for twenty years um, when I left school and uh, learnt the retail profession there and managed various shops and uh, around the country. And uh, as, as I said, I've always collected music, and I had some friends in the area down here in Froome. Um, and I just came to the time in my life, I was just going for a divorce and I, I didn't really have anything to stay in London where I was at the time. So I decided, why don't I start my own business? So I did. I moved down here, bought a house, 
rented a shop and uh, 1997 and opened my first record shop, really. So it was just a love of music and a love of retailing, the two main reasons. And uh, which artists and bands do you collect the most of and why? Do I collect personally or in the shop? Um, both. <laughs> Both. Um, well, personally, still the only thing I really collect now is is still punk singles. But I'm I'm not a collector in the sense of uh, probably David like you are, um, because again, as I said, having a shop, it's it's, it's not impossible to actually. I, I find it very very hard to specifically collect stuff. I, I still collect a lot of stuff on CD. I've got a huge CD collection, and I collect DVDs. I, I collect books in a big music books, particularly in a big way. So, uh, um, any any artist that takes my fancy really on on either either book dvd cd or vinyl really i collect so i would say punk generally is the the main thing i still collect i'm what you know if i if i got a big punk collection in the shop and there was some really good interesting bits in there i might actually be tempted to keep those for my own collection yeah i remember a few cornwall signed book had in your shop in the room and uh, i should have bought it at the time but you yeah. haven't got that no 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 i don't think so no no so but uh but yeah i, I tend to um I, I don't know if a collection comes in i'll think oh i'm going to take that home put it in my collection but i'm only just keep it in the shop and think of it as a rotating collection so you know any one time i you know this is my stuff if i ever close down overnight this, this is my collection here really so god knows what i do with it <laughs> I mean, Dave could open a museum here as well. He's, he'd have them in the bathroom, <laughs> in the kitchen if he could. <laughs> like you say, it's room at the end of the day, you know. And it you know, is. Definitely, yeah. I must admit, he's been doing He's been selling some of them, haven't you? Yeah, I've been I, selling I a lot, but I've also been selling the stuff that um, I'm sort of now just want wanted gone. And uh, yeah. but, but replacing it, I've... I've um, got a love of frank zappa oh okay i've been recently collecting quite a lot of frank zappa yeah and captain beefheart oh right yeah yeah, yeah the early stuff yeah no the early stuff's the best definitely by by both those artists so. that's, that's what i'm into at the moment my favorite sally girl right. <laughs> <laughs> love sally girl love that so so going back to you know your first record shop when did you first open Ray from the Grave. When did you first open that? Uh, first opened March 1997. Um, and we uh, had the small, first small shop that's down Cheap Street in the town. Um, we've had four, four different shops in the town now. Um, but yeah, like very, very small little shop. And I opened with about 200 LPs. I had about probably 100 cassettes. I had no CDs at all when I opened. Um, and a few singles. That was it, really. So the shop did, even though it was a small shop, it looked fairly sparse on the first day. But to be honest, stock came in pretty quickly. So in the after the first month, I was uh, probably the stock had doubled, you know, pretty quickly. So, so, so from from then, how would how would you say you know you've obviously grown? So how many do you roughly stock now in your shop when it comes to vinyls? Um, it's uh, probably. Uh, I mean, the Warminster's you. Probably know as David no doubt knows we've got most vinyl. Although since we've been in the new shop in Froome, we've got two a two floor shop here now, so we've got a lot more vinyl in this shop as well as as the Warminster one. Quantity um, it's very hard to. I mean, new new repress vinyl is sort of we're swamped with uh, as as because obviously we wear that sort of uh, 
the new in thing, really. So um, I, I don't know. Any idea of the quantity, Tom? <laughs> I reckon we've got about probably 40,000 secondhand albums probably in the Warminster shop and, and probably about 20,000 singles. We do do a stock take once a year. Yeah. We don't count the um, uh, value. We didn't just count the quantity, really. Yeah. So I know, for example, last year in Warminster, I think it was about 25,000 seven-inch singles. And we probably got about 10,000 here. Um yeah, uh, new vinyl. I think we've got. Uh, I'm trying to think. I reckon it was about. I think about ten thousand. You reckon? Yeah, yeah about ten thousand up pieces of new vinyl. These are all, all different ones as well. So, uh, so a lot basically. Uh, a lot of CDs as well. Probably thirty thousand CDs, oh, at least. Definitely. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I haven't had the pleasure yet of visiting your shop. I've never actually got around to it, Dave. Like, I'll take you in there, yeah. but he's when... like, I'm scared to go in there because I know I'm going to spend loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I definitely want to visit. But that's the beauty of a really good vinyl shop like you've got, Rich. It's, it's just like yeah. the temptation to just spend just vast amounts of money on things that... <laughs> no, no, no definitely. Else. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know, David, have you been to the new shop here in Froom? Um, I, I, I have. Think yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it must have been the day when I wasn't here. But, um, but yeah, no, generally, we, you know, we've... It's, I was obviously very frustrated at the moment not being able to actually open, but looking around thinking, not seeing this stock here, but we are still obviously doing a mail order business and a click and collect service and stuff. So we're, yeah, that's um, good. But yeah, no. Is there a vinyl record that alludes to you that you're still after? Um, uh, um, let me think. Well, actually, there is another band that I'm got into over the last six or seven years is a band called kaleidoscope and they were a, a british um psychedelic -y band from the late 60s and they made two albums um and the, the original copies of those albums go for over a thousand pounds so they elude me but I, I haven't got the money to buy them on ebay or anything so i'm just waiting for them hopefully one day to come in in a collection wow. but uh but they're eluding me at the moment but yeah I'm, I, you know, so they, they need two albums then they um morphed into another band basically and then never got any critical acclaim and uh, folded basically so those two albums elude me definitely at the moment but probably will do for some time to come unless i'm very I lucky how many like vinyls were i just can't get over it sometimes i'm like just blown away by it like yeah, yeah a lot definitely and <laughs> um, when did you feel the need to open your second shop in Warminster? um the, the need came pretty soon, actually, to be honest. I mean, after, um, after we'd been trading only six months in through, we opened a very small shop in Warminster in a different location. That didn't last long. But the we used to have two shops in Froome. Uh, this is over 12 years ago. And it seemed stupid having two in one town. So we looked at another town. And Warminster um, seemed to be quite good. It wasn't far away. It was in a different county. Um, um, property was quite cheap then. So so that's when we moved in it was mostly due to not the potential to sort of take more money it was mostly due to the fact that we had too much stock to keep in through so we wanted to spread it out a bit I so know, yeah I it was 12 years your walls the shop um just time just just totally goes if i go downstairs and i, I start looking you know it might mm. be a couple of hours before i come back up you know yeah yeah and, and i love that feeling that you just get lost you know in vinyl heaven <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly. No, it is a bit like that, definitely. It has a good feel, that shot. Yeah, it does. Yeah, we know we spent quite a lot of time getting it just right and um, uh, still find it harder to attract customers over to the Walmitzer shop. A lot more, it's a lot harder than getting to the Froom shop uh, for some reason. Don't know what that is, but. Uh, but now we're quite sort of proud of uh, what what we've done over there. Now we've turned it into sort of a, a you know, an interesting shop where, as you say, you can spend a lot of time and enjoyment. Yeah, well done. Mm. Can you name any famous spaces that you've seen buying vinyl in your shop? And I'm asking this because, like, I've spotted a few and I've heard a few like famous people that have moved to like Froome and are in Froome. So have you yeah. had any experiences like that with people like coming? Yeah, in we have. Like, yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, uh, we haven't had too many in the current shop, ironically, but in the, the shop we were in before, the most famous face who came in recently was Robert Plant. He came in twice and he was recording down uh, in the area and he just turned up one day. Actually, I was, it was my day off annoyingly. Tom actually served him and uh, but then he came in the week after. It was a wet Tuesday. There was no one else in town at all. And I looked out the shop and uh, Robert Plant was cruising through our sale box of CDs outside and then he just came in the shop and he was in the shop for about an hour and bought a load of CDs and uh, had a really good chat with him so that was quite um, quite novel basically just no one else would get in town except for me and Robert Plant so wow. um, and we've had uh, we've had over the years we've had people like well we've had Rod Argent, Colin Blunston from the Zombies we've had the, the Skids band came over a whole of the Inspiral Carpets band when they were playing in Froome came into the shop, spent quite a lot of time there. We've had Billy Bragg in quite a few times. Van Morrison came in years ago to first shop. Um, more recently, people like Seth Lakeman. Um, any others? I remember Chris Gifford. Did he play outside your shop? Well, Christopher, yeah, Christopher came in. Yeah, yeah, he, he played out. We, we managed to nab him for one of the record store days. So he played outside the shop, but did he buy yeah, any that's been... No, he didn't actually. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we bought him lunch, didn't buy anything. He didn't buy anything off us. Oh, uh, Rick Waitman came in once and bought some of his own cassettes, believe it or not. Some, oh, some of his own Rick Waitman cassettes off us. That was in the first shop. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's the rarest piece of vinyl that you've had passed through, like either one of the shops, you know? Yeah, we had, um, it's when we had a shop in Bath, actually. We, we very uh shortly or um, what's the word i'm looking for briefly had a shop in bath and uh we picked up a big collection me and the chap who was running the shop and we picked up a rolling stones fan club only disc and i didn't realize at the time how collectible it was and we, we got back to the shop and was pricing the stock up found it was limited to 200 copies and yeah it was uh 1200 quid so that was the most 200 copies most yeah, no, as soon as we realised it was only 200 coppers, I knew then obviously it would be expensive. But, um, but we, you know, we've had things like Zombies, um, Odyssey and Oracle, which is always an easy album to sell. That was 800 quid. Um, we've had quite a few interesting punk singles. We, we did. Linda Hoyle one. Actually, yeah, we had a, a, a female progressive artist called Linda Hoyle. Um, we sold that. We, we did the occasional record fair. I think we sold it at record fair in Reading, basically, so... That was about six, seven hundred quid as well. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> as a collector, like from from your standpoint, how would you say the collector's market is nowadays compared to like when you first started your shop? Um, it's it's as boring as it ever was. There's still you know thousands of people out there who want to collect records. Um, 
Uh, it's probably harder to pick up decent collections, I would say, than it used to be. But since you know, the days of eBay and things like that, people and all the programs that have been on the box about how collectible vinyl is. I mean, a lot of people see see these programs and think that all vinyl's collectible. And of course, David, you would not know as well that it's not. There's there's more vinyl that isn't collectible than is. Um, but it's probably yeah, probably harder to to get decent collections in. We're still picking up loads of collections, but um, but, but the amount of people collecting them is still is still there. There's probably more younger people collecting than used to be. I would say, wow. over twenty years. So. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But that's good. That's healthy. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, there's the uh, definitely it's not not declining really. And again, it's not just vinyl. It's CDs. There's still people collect collect don't just buy cds for music they actually buy them to collect as well and, and luckily good because we're sitting on thousands of them we do still sell a lot of cds as well so it's not just the vinyl so, so with the younger generation obviously showing an interest in in vinyl and collecting is that do you think due to the 180 gram pressings and how is that affecting the original pressing value Tom, Tom's nodding said to say no and I, I I don't know whether it is down to that I think that's helped the fact that you can get because you know there's a lot of bands that have, have do represses bands like Metallica for example where you very rarely find secondhand Metallica albums so so the new represses are a great way for people to actually own a Metallica album so I think that has helped because if we go back sort of 10 years there was hardly any new repress vinyl so bands like Nirvana even people like Bjork and things like that, you just didn't find second hand. So if you wanted them, you just couldn't get them on vinyl. So, so, so the new repress vinyl has opened up uh, a market to you know people who don't want to maybe or haven't got the time or the money to you know fork out loads of money on an original item. So. Buying and selling online help keep you afloat. Yes, it has actually. I mean, it's it's been hard work uh, during the lockdown, um, and again, but we are ticking over by the fact. I mean, a year ago we didn't have we had a website, we had no stock on it. We've now got uh, nearly five thousand lines on it, and we've got a very buoyant uh, discog selling site as well. We've had to do because at the moment, being closed, selling secondhand vinyl is non-existent. It's virtually non impossible to sell secondhand vinyl when you haven't got any customers coming in. So we've got items that we've had in the shop for years and years that we're looking and thinking oh let's just put that on discogs and we've had some success with that and uh so online obviously has kept us afloat definitely brilliant um um what, what was your perception of the cd when first introduced and how do you see cds nowadays um when the cd was first introduced i remember i was still working at smith's and uh, i remember the first cd ever came out was brothers in arms by dire straits and uh, that was the only cd you could buy at the time we had a whole wall unit just displayed just with that on display and yeah. um, I, I i i actually have no problem with the cd i think it's a great great format the quality of the sound is good um space they don't take up a lot of space um my only reservations generally is probably the liner notes maybe and not the same as you would get with uh, uh, vinyl, whatever. But um, I can't see anything. You know, I know downloading is a huge, huge market, but we're still selling as many CDs as we did. Really, a slight decline, maybe, but um, it's still a huge part of the market. So, I, and I can't see anything replacing it. I think people who actually want to own something, as opposed to just to download, will still carry on buying CDs. Brilliant. yeah i don't think nothing beats like actually holding it i'm not i'm not a download person i've never been into like downloads myself no, i don't know no, good. Showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> like i'm such an old soul at heart i really am 
Yeah. Well, the quality, I mean, the download, you know, the quality of it uh, when you listen to a download is appalling compared to a CD. So, you know, that's, that's the thing. And if, if anybody's into music, you need to listen to it on a, you know, on a decent, you know, system, basically. And, on, and, and a de- you know, CDs, the quality of the CD just is not a patch on that. so much better than the downloads. So. Yeah, definitely. How did it go setting up your shop at Glastonbury? I'm interested. And, in, like, were you the first dealer there? Were you... You know, was it a uh, place we, for you? We did, um, we did two Glastonbury's, two years on the trot, and um, it fin- financially it wasn't worthwhile doing, to be honest. The, first, the best, second one was better than the first one. It was very hard work because obviously we had to um, you know, invest in more of the stall, you know, booking a stall at Glastonbury, the van, quantity of staff. I know we got three tickets to get in, but actually trading from 10 in the morning till midnight for the and and not just for the three days of the festival we traded from the wednesday i think through to the following monday um uh and for the hard work we put into it it wasn't really rewarding it was it was an experience but we wouldn't do it again to be honest i mean we were i think we were the um there was another smaller trader but i know um i wouldn't say we were the first one ever there but um i don't think they had too many record uh traders there and i think but the main reason is people who i think my feeling is people who go to glass and we go there to watch bands uh drink and eat basically and uh, not to buy my records because they don't want to be hanging you know, having a load of records in the tent so <laughs> that was the biggest problem but so yeah financially it wasn't viable to do but it was an experience so. it's a shame it didn't work out that great yeah i mean it's it's yeah, just the madness yeah you know, the overheads are massive i mean you know i won't go into them now but it's, just, it's not you know everything from you know gas cylinder um, insurance van everything you know the overheads are huge um and that's you know that just into any money that we took really so but but it was it was enjoyable but hard work yeah hard work quite expensive anyway isn't it i mean yeah you've yeah food, yeah you know, but you've, you've got to pay through the nose you know you've still got to eat you know as well as work yeah. exactly yeah so so it, we, yeah no it was we you know but it's said it was just been, we've done a couple of smaller uh festivals which have uh been more lucrative not, not you know, haven't taken as much money but the overheads have been lower so that that's the crucial thing but again i think my days are doing I'm 60 now, and I think my days personally of taking loading a, a van up, and you know, but record fairs are still feasible to do uh-huh. when we're allowed to again. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's a bit, you know, a bit better because you're only taking you know, know, 10 boxes of records, whatever, somewhere. So that's that's much more in keeping, I think. So, um, and so, um, my last question what advice would you give to someone who wanted to start up a vinyl music collecting selling business? Uh, don't. My advice to someone to, who wants to open the shop personally at the moment, I would say don't do it. But, uh, um, it's, you know, it's hard work. Obviously, it's a lot harder now selling on the high street than it was 25 years ago when I started. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, it will, and it will get harder, I'm certain. Um, you know, a lot of people obviously are setting up doing it on online and uh, i would never want to just do it online is there's no it's not it's not as enjoy it's not there's no enjoyment there at all really it's nice obviously selling something online getting the money but my the thing i love most is meeting people really so uh but it is it's it's hard work and it's taken us you know a lot of um sweat and everything building the business up and and 
worrying this as well you know nights worrying about how you're going to pay the suppliers and things like that so um if, if i'm honest i would say don't but um but yeah you know, people can come to me for advice i can tell them i can tell them the pitfalls or... <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of love and passion has gone into it uh, yeah definitely, definitely. Your yeah you got you got to, yeah you got to do that really you, you know you've got to be prepared to whatever hours are needed really and um you know just hard work you can't you don't you don't ever turn off switch off as, as debbie will uh tell tell anybody <laughs> you know, I, I know your hard work doesn't go unnoticed rich right thank you for that <laughs> okay so i think i think one of the last things to do is just shout out your social media where can people find you where can people find the shop um Right, well, they can, if they just put face, race from the grave into anything, we're obviously on Facebook. We've got a great Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, so race from the grave, and the website's great as well. So just tapping raves from the grave, singular, not plural. And again, you can visit all our platforms. You can meet, go into our online shop, meet the team who work in the shops, see any news and things that are happening. And so, yeah, any of the usual platforms, just race from the grave. So I'll link all that in the description box of the podcast for our listeners' benefit. Uh, right. I'd just like to say all the best to you, Richard, and your wife, Debbie, and Brave from the Grave, and to Tom, technical support. Uh, thank Fantastic. you very much for uh, finding the time for us today. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon when we'll be allowed out and uh, to mingle in your record shop for sure. So. Yeah, I have to do it. <laughs> Bless you. Thanks a lot for coming. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Is them. Bye. 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 So that wraps up our episode for today on the 9667 podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. That was, um, you know, independent shops right now. They really need your support. Um, really, really think about, you know, purchasing a vinyl from Rage the Great instead of like maybe some of your big stores. Um, it's, it's always nice to shop small and support smaller creators as we all know um so yeah that was richard i'm going to link everything as much as i possibly can in the description box of this podcast um like i say i hope you guys take care of yourselves too and i hope you're doing well and we'll see you soon with peace and love with peace and love so <laughs> we'll see you soon goodbye guys